Celebrating 50 years, ASCP is a membership organization of senior care pharmacists. Our mission is to promote healthy aging by empowering pharmacists with education, resources, and innovative opportunities. Learn more at ASCP.com. ASCP, experts in medication management, improving the lives of older adults. Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to Senior RX Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior RX Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved health care outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. Hi there, it is Amy Blazik coming to you, sheltering in place here in lovely Dallas, Texas. I hope this day finds you well, safe and sane during this crazy, crazy time. But thank you for joining us for the Senior Care Pharmacist podcast. Today, my guest is Patrick Nguyen. He's a clinical pharmacist at SHOM, which is a teaching hospital in Montreal, Quebec. He is associated with the Quebec Network Research on Aging, and a lecturer for Montreal University. His article, The Impact of Pharmacist Interventions in an Ambulatory Geriatric Care Clinic, The Impact Study, is going to be published in the May issue of the Senior Care Pharmacist. Welcome, Patrick. We're so glad that you could make time for us today, especially during this crazy busy time. Well, thank you for having me here. Yes, we are so we are so grateful. So I want to just kind of kick right off and and have us have you tell us a little bit about the Quebec Network for Research on Aging and what your role is there. Well, the Quebec Network for Aging is basically an organism been made to put together researchers who could be physicians, psychologists, or any healthcare professionals that want to get together to do really improve the health of older people. What it does is it goes in thematics where we have, for example, memory or we have uh, public health. My thematics is uh, mental health. So I'm particularly interested in uh, themes that go around delirium, for example, or uh, insomnia, or actually just correct use of medication. So what we do is we we reunite every, uh, and usually teleconference because it's all over Quebec. It's quite of a large territory. So we we meet a few times a year and we try to plan a multidisciplinary and multi-center research to be able to uh, address problematics that affect elderly people. So it sounds like this is a really interdisciplinary group. What kind of training have you had and, and kind of what, what are the things that you feel like you're bringing to this group on a, on a regular basis? I have the basic training of a, of a pharmacist here in, uh, in Canada, which is probably a little different from the U.S. We go for, uh, we have a first cycle, of course, and we're all pharmacists at the base. And now the pharmacist comes up with a, a, a PharmD, which is, I think, probably similar to what you have in the U.S., and then we do what we have a, a master's degree, which is uh, the equivalent of your uh, residency program, where we have some classes, but mainly our, uh, our training is in uh, hospital care. And so that's the training I have. But on top of that, what I've done is a, um, a master in gerontology uh, last year, just to, have, to open and widen my perspective 
on the older patient care. And I think it really added to uh, my vision on the elderly person. So that's mainly the the training I have. And my contribution, since the, uh, the network doesn't have many pharmacists, they do some uh, some trials or some experiments with medication, but they don't have the, the point of view, the expertise of a pharmacist to do that. So uh, my main implications on the, in the projects is to uh, give advice and also to uh, see the analysis to see if actually the outcomes where they're looking for are the right. Are they missing any angles concerning medication efficiency or safety or uh, exactly the use of medication. So my role is, re- is really to implicate myself and I'm actually in a project right now uh, where we're checking uh, the use of antipsychotics in uh, older patients and the implication on the psychological wise also. So it's uh, it implicates psychologists but also the antipsychotics or the drug uh, part of the investigation. So I'm more on the the pharmacological part uh, to help and widen the impact of what we're doing. I love to hear that. I think so often we read something that is about medicines. Maybe it's a big database study or it's a big, it's a big maybe randomized study or even like your study where you're sort of looking at, you know, two, two very different groups or not very different, but basically you're looking at two groups. One has a pharmacist and one doesn't. I think we've all read research where we look at it and we think, gosh, like there are things that they're missing. And it's almost like if they had had a pharmacist on their team, it could have been much more robust and more meaningful. So I'm grateful that they're utilizing your expertise like that. That's wonderful. I think one of the other things, as I was reading through the article, one of the, one of the things that really struck me that I, I just loved. And so I, I had to ask you about it. So there are, you had said that 59% of your patient population had calendar style blister packaging for their medicines. Is this a standard option for individuals in your province? Is this something that that Canada does on a regular basis? Is this maybe something very unique to your patient population there locally? I'm just curious about that. Actually, the, the calendar blister packs are very, very widespread here. It's not something that's in only my population. The only thing is that it's not giving symptomatically to all older patients, it's really on demand. The only thing that really helps here is that since uh, when you're dispensing, because these uh, calendar blister packs are made in community pharmacies. So the main theme is, of course, the cost. The cost of dispensing uh, weekly in blister packs is a lot more than monthly or every three months. So for the patient, it can mean a difference. But since all patients over 65 in Quebec and all over Canada, actually, it's not something that's uh, uh, unique to my province, have uh, public medical coverage. So these blister packs are covered by the insurance. So that's why it's a widespread. It doesn't resolve all the, the use of medication issues, but these are things that can be prescribed by physicians or recommended by the pharmacist. And then the uh, the public insurer will cover uh, those blister packs. So basically the community pharmacy, what he does is he takes everything that's, uh, of course, oral medication and gives it, usually it's in the four columns. You have the uh, in the morning, noon, uh, supper time, and bedtime, and they spread all over the day. And go, of course, with the, the the appropriate time for every medication, the medication that's necessary for the patient at that time, and it's usually served 
weekly, but you also have, I, I didn't mention it in the study, but there's, it's also possible some pharmacy offer a daily, actually, a service where delivery man that goes to the, the door of, of the patient and actually gives him the medication on a daily basis. And we can also ask as a clinician that, that the medication could be taken in front of the delivery man, which actually helps for the compliance issues. So I don't know if in the U.S. this is possible. It'd be interesting to know, but here uh, it's something we have and it's quite standard and all pharmacies, uh, community pharmacies offer that service. That's amazing. I think when, when most of us think of blister packs, at least here in the United States, we think of, you know, I would say the standard, the current standard way of dispensing or, or administering medicines in a long-term care facility, not necessarily for somebody in the community, but I think that, you know, I, I think Listeners are probably a little bit jealous that you've got this system in place that, you know, like you mentioned, they don't address all the compliance or adherence issues, but certainly could make make things a little bit more. We can all say that this this may be this may be helpful, but it certainly helps that the province insurer is is also taking care of the cost of that because it does sound pretty costly, especially when you are when you have a courier delivering medicines to the door and on a daily basis. But, but that sounds, I mean, that sounds amazing. <laughs> well, it's actually also something you can, we can do. And the province, what their, their focus is, is trying to keep people at home the longest possible. So these are all things that they say, we're going to invest there, but we're going to invest less in long-term care or nursing homes because the people are going to stay at home longer. So that's why they, we've implanted those services and the daily delivery, even though it's, it's a cost, but it's a lot less than having the patient being in a nursing home, for example. For sure. And I think that, you know, when you kind of, when you're able to take a 10,000 foot view of healthcare as opposed to sort of the, the silos, the, you know, what long-term care costs and what pharmacy costs, and you kind of take a 10,000 foot bit overview, I think that that's that can be, you know, when, when you're like, well, we're paying for it all. So let's maybe put some more money in this bucket in an attempt to maybe not have to use it as much in, in maybe the long-term care bucket. That's fascinating. Um, so, you know, as I'm reading through, through your article, reading through your work, I was definitely thinking about how these results can sometimes have ripple effects. And so I was really curious about how these results have been received by the pharmacy management, maybe the Department of Geriatrics within your institution. And I'd love to hear about that. Well, that was the, one of the main points in doing the research and to have the, the results published. It's actually to, to be able to give maybe the boost or a little information for the management, not only in my center, but uh, out wide. So people from different countries or different uh, regions could actually implement a pharmacy service in ambulatory patients because it's something we've had already for many years for inpatients, but for outpatients, there's not much. How it was received, of course, is uh, very well. The I would say that inside the pharmacy department, it's easier because, of course, pharmacists are well aware of uh, the benefits and they can appreciate that really how what we can do for the patient. And just to have it documented makes it more appealing for them. And for my management, I've have received the full support to develop because it's, it was a personal initiative to develop uh, ambulatory pharmacy because uh, up to now we're only implicated for inpatients. 
and on a consultant basis, but not really seeing systematically all, pay, all patients in the ambulatory clinic. At the point of the study, we, it wasn't 100% also, but it was well-received. The only down part and all the difficult part, of course, is the, uh, the resource part. And unfortunately, up to now, we haven't had additional funding to be able to have a full-time pharmacist in the ambulatory clinic. I think there's more research to be done that we could actually uh, prove an added value on a more long-term basis uh, to be able to get. On the geriatrics part, it, it was kind of funny at the beginning, and and it still is a bit because the physicians at the beginning, they said, well, yeah, the pharmacist is sometimes useful, but I don't see why he should always be there. I mean, uh, we're doing a good job right now, and everything's fine, so why should we have a pharmacist on the team? Uh, we can manage. The physician can manage also. But when they actually see the added value, when they we reunited the multidisciplinary and we actually gave our recommendations, they see angles that uh, they didn't see before. And they we give recommendations that they haven't thought of. So they see the added value. I think the first time they're a little reluctant. Some physicians are more favorite pharmacists, some a little less, but that's normal. I have a very good team. So most are uh, favorable, but sometimes they just say, oh, okay, but why should we have a pharmacist? But at the end, they're pretty convinced that the pharmacist has an added value and they see it and now they also have the chance having the pharmacy alive. Sometimes they have questions. They don't really think of calling us, but if they have us in front of them, they say, oh yeah, for that patient, maybe how could we give them this medication? Oh, for this pain, what do you think? What should we give? And so interdisciplinary exchange, it's been uh, widely supported. The chief of, of geriatrics, of course, uh, approved and was really in backing us up for the implementation of pharmacy in the ambulatory clinic. We're really lucky to have that, that support from the beginning. So everything went smoothly from then. So is there a pharmacist full-time out in this clinic now? Or is, is that kind of in the works? So we increased. At, at, the, uh, at the time of the study, we had a third of patients that were seen by the pharmacist. Now we're more at I'd say about 70% patients that are actually seen by the pharmacist. So we've we're able to increase. We have to manage the inpatients and the outpatients. So sometimes when the workload is very hard, it's difficult to see the patient in the ambulatory clinic. So that's the only difficult part. It's uh, to be able to have the time to see the patient. But most patients now are seen, which was not the case at the beginning. And I'm hoping that in the future, we'll be able to get the 100% uh, patient uh, seen by the pharmacist. I think it's possible. It's only uh, a question of having the correct resources to do it. This is definitely leading into my next question. So if the sky was the limit, what are your next steps? What are the, what are, I would say the next steps, maybe over the next three to six months, maybe what are your, your dreams for this, maybe over the next five years? Well, of course, one of the point is to have 100% of the patients seen, but what I've seen and what I, I, I realized from doing the study is that a big part of what we're missing is the we we see the patient in the ambulatory clinic, but uh, since we don't have the time, 
we don't actually able to do the follow-up. And that, I think, is a major point. I think that for the next five years, there's something I would like to develop in the ambulatory clinic is to have the pharmacist there to be able to do follow-ups and interventions, for example, or follow-ups on a patient. You've seen him once. You would like to speak to him another time or even have an appointment so the patient could come back. Imagine we're deciding to uh, reduce benzodiazepine. And we all know it's on a long-term basis. And we'd like to to make follow-up on the patient. So I think that would be one of the areas where we could uh, implicate ourselves more and also communicate directly with the general practitioner that's doing their community follow-up and be able to have discussion with them and doing follow-ups because up to now, the communication is actually led by the geriatrician. Uh, so he's the one who's communicating with uh, the general practitioner to be able to do uh, the modifications and everything. So I think we could have a more direct role in that. It would widely uh, increase, of course, the outcomes. And then we could actually see and try to measure uh, the outcomes that we can do, uh, for example, on the adverse effects or patient satisfactions or everything like that. That would be a lot of fun to see if the patients are really uh, seeing an improvement in their conditions after interventions, of course. Wonderful. I love it. I love the sky's the limit question because I think we as pharmacists know that that changes is baby steps, but we we certainly appreciate any any evidence that pharmacists and other practitioners can put out there about that that pharmacist intervention and how how important it is. And certainly we are we are so grateful that you gave us your time today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's a pleasure for me to be here and I hope that I'll see other publications and other things on the ambulatory clinic because it'll be fun to see. I think the pharmacist has a role and I think it's very important for us as pharmacists. Like you say, it's their baby steps, but the first step you have to take is put your foot in the door and try to open it. And sometimes people just don't think that it's possible. But I, uh, from the experience we've had here, if you try, not always, but it is possible to put a little foot in the door and then maybe baby stepping up to get a better implication of the pharmacist. When they see what we can do, they want us there. Absolutely. One of these days, they'll be begging. They'll walk into the clinic and they'll say, where's my pharmacist? So thank you so much for your time today. My guest has been Patrick Nguyen. He is the author of The Impact Study, The Impact of the Pharmacist Interventions in an Ambulatory Geriatric Care Clinic, which will be in the May issue of The Senior Care Pharmacist. Grateful for your, your time today. And this is Amy Blazer, sheltering in place in Dallas, Texas, but hope to hear from you next time. Thanks for listening to Senior Rx Radio. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow consultant pharmacists and pharmacy associates to learn more about better outcomes for older adult patients. Join us on the web at ASCP.com.